After reviewing the play, the call on the ice stands. We got a goal! Okay, fellas, we are set to go. Let's go! We are kicking. Watch the blue! Yeah, yeah. There we go. Yeah, baby. Number 47 for Boston. Both guys, five minutes each for fighting! Please move it! Please move it! Please move it! Please move it! We are fast approaching the NHL trade deadline, and once again, no moves will happen, Josh. I confidently predict that no officials will be traded. I'm, I'm waiting, though. We, we might see the North Division maybe trade a couple officials to the, the rest of the league, you know, just to change things up a little bit. You never know. <laughs> well, I, I guess if they went from the North Division to one of the other three divisions, there would be no quarantine involved, but they can't go the other way without sitting for, I guess it's seven days for the NHL now. Right. It, it does make for some tricky posturing as the season wraps up, just to make sure you've got the right guys in the right place, especially as they're getting ready for that playoff push. Yeah, the push is on. This is the Scouting the Rest podcast. It is brought to you by our friends at Manscaped. And there are special savings for you with our partnership from Manscaped. Use the code REFS, R-E-F-S. If you use that on your order, you receive 20% off and you get free shipping. It has been quite a week and we have received some new things from Manscaped as well. We thank them for their continued support of the Scudding the Rest podcast. As we have told you over the last month or so, we have told you about their amazing below-the-waist grooming items, and now they have sent us new product. It's the Weed Whacker. Yes, very, very excited for the Weed Whacker here. Like you mentioned, Todd, we've talked about all of the, uh, you know, the lower body issues, and now you've got some upper body advancement yeah. that you can take care of here. And I, I don't know about you, but sometimes it's not just the hairs that need trimming, but the fact that they're there at all. That, that <laughs> perplexes and baffles you. And, and you know, you want to get them out of the way. And I, I will say that just clearing that up, you know, you don't you, you want to clear up nose hair, ear hair, stuff like that, that just it's it's unsightly. It's uncomfortable. And uh, mm -hmm. certainly you don't want any attention drawn to that. So uh, best prune those, clean those up, trim it down. And uh, the weed whacker is perfect for it. I think we should say, too, that don't let the name Weed Whacker alarm or stress you at all. I mean, it's it's easy to think about this product some as some wild, out-of-control trimming thing that comes up in horror movie scenes when you hear Weed Whacker. But it couldn't be further from the truth. Safety first, as always. That is a good rule to fall. And this is incredibly safe. It is almost impossible not to do a perfect job grooming some of those places where you definitely do not want that extra hair protruding. If you're <laughs> wanting to take control of the underbrush, you should also be making sure that the top part of the hedges is also trimmed up nicely. There is no chance anyone is going to want to see the lower garden if the upper garden is a mess. Am I right? <laughs> that is that is very well put. You've got to have the total package when it comes to landscaping and you want it to be safe. It's dummy proof. Jam the thing up there. It does the work for you. It's, it's not dangerous at all. And yes, it makes the top more attractive, which hopefully reflects down low as well. Exactly. Use our code REFS, R-E-F-S, at manscaped.com. You get 20% off your order and free shipping on the Weed Whacker and every other product that you order as well. Do it now. 
Please make sure you're following us on our social media channels. For Josh, it's at Scouting the Refs on Twitter and Instagram. For me, it's at Todd Lewis Sports on Twitter and Instagram. And yes, the old-fashioned method of questions as well. Hey, ref at scoutingtherefs.com is the email. On this week's episode, here's another slew foot that went uncalled. The return of the headshot. Video review is alive and well, and can somebody get this guy a new pair of gloves? Sound intriguing? I think we should dive in. Oh, first of all, though, Josh... Let's send a shout out and get well wishes to a couple of officials that have been in the line of fire this past week. Yeah, it's been a rough one there. I will start with Dean Morton, who escaped injury on a puck being dumped in by Brett Pessig of the Carolina Hurricanes. It caught him up high. He stayed in the game. Morty's a trooper. He's been around the league for a long time, and he's certainly had his share of injuries. So nice to see that this one didn't sideline him. Can't say as much for referee Pierre Lambert, though, who suffered a pretty brutal headshot. He took a clearing attempt off the helmet, tried to stick in the game a little while, skated around, kept up with the play. But, you know, after a whistle, and it happened on a Timo Meyer goal from the San Jose Sharks, he skated to center, talked to his partner, Kyle Raymond, and and looked a little woozy on his skates. So I, I think the adrenaline was keeping him going, but it caught up to him. He left the ice, headed off for repairs. And, uh, you know, we haven't seen him out there since, so hopefully... He's recovering. No word on his condition, his status, if he's experiencing any post-concussion type symptoms, but definitely a scary, scary sight. Definitely don't want to be taking a puck off the bucket like that. No, definitely not. So we send him our best and hopefully he is back on the ice soon. Okay, we have been on this topic of slew footing for a couple of weeks now. We've illustrated some, I think, classic examples of the textbook definition the foot swiping another player from behind, a pushback on the upper body. It seems we and some others on social media are the ones who notice and would like these infractions called. So far, the topic hasn't really been dealt with by the Department of Player Safety and the refs calling it roughing or something else. But there was another example this past week in a game I was watching between the Montreal Canadiens and the Edmonton Oilers. Leon Dreisaitl is pursuing the puck behind the net. He's followed by Philip Dano. Dreisaitl tries collecting the puck. Dano extends his right leg out behind the Oiler forward and then hauls him backwards, sending him to the ice. There was no call made on the play. Now that alone is puzzling to me. I mean, even if you don't want to call it a slew foot, it looks like a slew foot, but you've got to call, call holding or obstruction or I guess you can't really call interference because he's pursuing the puck. But it seems like this was a miss that took place. I'd agree, Todd. I think you have some opportunities there. And we know a slew foot's a, a strong penalty. Guilty of slew footing gets you a match. So you're tossed for the game. And certainly that that level of punishment might not match every incident when we see a guy taken down. But you're, you're spot on there. Holding, tripping, uh, using yourself to knock the guy off his skates as he's playing the puck would have been an appropriate call. You have to think that that was just missed there. And it's one of those situations that I think deserved a penalty on the ice, probably not dangerous enough to result in any action from player safety, but one of those situations that we'd love to see out of the game. It's things like that where Dreisaitl avoided injury, but these are the types of plays that do get guys hurt. In a situation like this, is there... Is there something more we could do as a as a league, as a community or whatever? Okay, so a, a call was missed, and that does happen. It happens in every game, and I'm not going to complain about that because referees are human as well. Is there something that we could do to 
you know, the way they announce the divers list, if you will, is in the sense that, okay, we noted there should have been an infraction here. It doesn't rise to the level of, of further discipline, but there should have been an infraction here and it has been noted in your file, so to speak. Now, we don't necessarily hear that. But I'm not saying that that doesn't go on because there are consistent conversations between members of the officiating management team and the individual team management, as well as with player safety and those individuals. I know George Paros has been known to ring guys up and advise them that, like, look, that play happened and we didn't issue anything, but Dan O's got to watch those or he's going to get fined or suspended. And I wouldn't be surprised if such a conversation did take place, but certainly we're not privy to that. It's not something that's made public and you don't you don't get on the public naughty list, but that, that doesn't mean that the league doesn't take notice. Should there be a public naughty list, did you call it? You know, I I think there's value in it, but I don't think the NHL wants to draw attention to the fact that it was a missed penalty call. I don't think they want to point the fingers at the official and say, hey, guys, we missed this one and make that the public part of the list. So I think that's why we won't necessarily see that. All right. And and I guess that's a debate maybe even for another day is... A missed call is not a life sentence. It happens. And we have to be able to move past that at some point. It doesn't mean that this this particular guy in stripes is the worst official in the history of the National Hockey League. It means there was a miss. Every referee misses some calls. And I think there's there's an expectation level of perfection that's unrealistic. Right. And you don't want to put a stigma on that guy, too, just because he happened to be the official for you know one or two of those type situations, because now you're going to undermine credibility. You're going to have coaches calling it out going, oh, well, you gave us this guy again. And right. I think that's where you don't want that to happen, especially, you know, co- coaches are trying to find any angle they can get. And whether they believe it or not, or whether it's just a team motivational thing to say, hey, the league gave us this guy. Remember last time they told us he messed up on this call and now we've got him again. So it's us against the refs, boys. And I could see that kind of ammunition, something the league just does not want to provide. This is the Scouting the Refs podcast. It's brought to you by Manscaped. Special savings for you available with our partnership with Manscaped. Use the code REFS, R-E-F-S, for your order. You get 20% off and you get free shipping. Well, as mentioned, it was only a matter of time, but it's back. It's the return of the headshot. It's always a judgment call that's open to interpretation, and some see it as a heinous act of war, while others say players need to protect themselves. Josh, would you agree maybe most circumstances and situations are somewhere in the middle of this? Yeah, there's not always black and white. There's very rarely black and white outside of on the officials' jerseys because we end up with just (laughs) a world of gray out there in trying to determine what level this headshot was. Was it a penalty? Was it suspension worthy? Was it even a headshot? Ah, you're reading my mind. Okay, I've got a couple of situations from games this past week that I want to get into. And we've had a chance to look at the video, and we hope that you look at the video as well. Go to scuttingtherest.com and follow them on social media. They'll they'll get you set in the right direction in terms of video. So let's get to a couple of plays between the Minnesota Wild and the Colorado Avalanche. The first involves our friend Nathan McKinnon, who got dinged for 5K a week ago for the helmet toss. This time he was on the receiving end of a hit from Jonas Brodeen. McKinnon battles for the puck in front of the net. Brodeen makes a move toward the slot and hammers McKinnon. Now, from the angles I have seen, there looks to be significant head contact. There was no call on the play, and as I watch, Brodeen is lifting his elbow, it appears, to inflict punishment on McKinnon. 
as he comes into contact with the Avs player. I think there should be something for this particular incident. It looked like a shot where the head was being targeted. You had McKinnon already involved with another member of the Minnesota Wild there. And then Brodeen comes in out of nowhere. And from most angles that I've seen, looks like he really picks the head. Now, he could have been tucking his elbows in to try to avoid physical contact with his teammate there. But as he hits McKinnon, he drives through, he picks the chicken wing up and really follows through with what is a pick to the head. So something that I think deserved a penalty, something that is a a very dangerous play. I wouldn't rule it out for a fine from player safety just because there was no attempt to deliver a clean body check. There was nothing other than a head pick right outside the crease there on Nathan McKinnon. Okay, so in the same game... There was another play uh, a little bit later on, and is it a headshot or isn't it a headshot? The The game was lopsided in the Wilds' favor. Minnesota, I believe, got lit up by the Avalanche a week earlier, so they were returning the favor. And a big hit by the Avalanche player Jacob McDonald on Ryan Hartman looks to be questionable in real time. However... When you take a look at all of the angles, and one in particular from behind the play, and if you slow it down, this hit looks more like McDonald came across the ice and really thumped Hartman with a big hit. But it appears to me to be shoulder to shoulder. Hartman's head snaps back from the impact. It's a big hit. I would say that it could be a late hit, and thus interference, because Hartman has already passed the puck away to a teammate, But we now know that McDonald is going to have himself a hearing with the Department of Player Safety for an illegal check to the head. But I'm not sure that there's head contact here. Yeah, that second angle that you shared with me, Todd, may may have changed my mind on it as well, because he he certainly does pop up. And you mentioned I'll, I'll check off the easy ones first, potentially interference because of the lateness of the hit, but probably not suspension worthy based on the timing there wasn't wasn't particularly or excessively late maybe deserving of a penalty on the ice but that one angle you're right does appear to show it being a shoulder to shoulder hit with Hartman's head snapping back and that's really what what tripped me up was you know you look at the one view of it you see him his body twists around he whips back but perhaps You know, we see from that other angle and it's nice that player safety can really take their time, review the play from all angles, Mm -hmm. see it and and digest it over however long they need to. And with, you know, their whole team taking a look to weigh in on it and really evaluate the call. So they'll have that meeting, they'll have that discussion and certainly they'll hear McDonald's take on on what it was. But this is potentially one of those situations like Armia where you've got a hit that you look at it and go, wow, was that illegal? And then you get into the specifics and you say, well, was there head contact? Did he check him through the body? Was this really just a blindside hit that caught a guy in a tough spot and sent him spinning, but was shoulder to shoulder? So I I think I I might be leaning back a little bit from my initial assessment of, holy cow, that's a dangerous headshot to, well, did he get the head at all? And and I think that that's the challenge that player safety faces that I think people often take for granted of, of really assessing is it illegal? Why was it illegal? What rule did it break? And then once you get there, you can figure out what the punishment is. Exactly. There is a long list of specifics of a play, a hit, or a situation, whichever, that have to be achieved, if you will, before a play can be determined whether or not it's worthy of a, of a fine, of supplemental discipline, or perhaps even a suspension of multiple games. As you, you say, there's a checklist. What kind of check was this? And 
remember, you use the word blindside. Blindside hits are no longer illegal in the NHL. Right. That specific language is not in the rule book. So having a blindside hit, provided it's legal and a player's eligible to be checked on the play, it doesn't necessarily make it an illegal hit just because it was a blindside hit. One other headshot incident, um, well, sort of, kind of. Sens and Jets early in the week, Ottawa's Brady Kachuk is chasing down a puck along the boards. Winnipeg captain Blake Wheeler is following him up the boards. Kachuk makes a wild play on the puck and spreads his body out as large as he can, like a goaltender trying to take up as much space as he can, and he winds up clunking Blake Wheeler in the face with his elbow. Wheeler stayed in the game but has since left the team. He's not accompanied them on their road trip, and we're told he is being treated as if he has had a concussion. Kachuk received a two-minute penalty on the play for elbowing. Could it be more? Should it be more? Was it an accident? Was it on purpose? Was it accidentally on purpose? <laughs> I, I think this is one of those where you, you get into that spot of, was it accidentally on purpose? Was he just making himself bigger to protect the puck? Was he making himself bigger to get leverage on the puck that he was playing along the boards? And like the prosecutor in a high-profile legal case, what can we prove? Now, the rule for elbowing is using your extended elbow and... I think that was the right call. He he caught the guy with his elbow. But was he attempting to foul an opponent with it, or was he really just widening himself up? I look at that and say that Kachuk had to know that Wheeler was coming behind him. Whether he thought he was making impact with his head, which ultimately he did, or whether he was just bracing for impact in general as Wheeler was coming after him, it's hard to say, and it's definitely hard to say to the degree of certainty that would justify any supplemental discipline on the play. So I absolutely get the elbowing call on the ice, and I also get no further action by player safety on that play. Yeah, that's one of those those very difficult and challenging calls that they have to make, whether it's it's reviewing the video from different angles and the like. But I, I think they got it right that it's a penalty, but I don't think it goes any further than that at this time. Okay, one more. Uh, <laughs> our old fan... Fr- Our old friend, Video Review, is back. Yes, it's everyone's favorite topic. (laughs) Okay, and it was a really good one, too. And you've detailed it nicely on the ScoutingTheWest.com website. The Arizona Coyotes scored a goal against the Los Angeles Kings. Kings felt the play was offside. They asked for a review. And usually, this kind of review comes from a puck being carried across the line and a teammate that precedes the puck. On this play, though... It works a little differently. The Coyotes are on the power play. The puck goes down to their end. It's fired quickly up the ice. It's touched along their way. Connor Garland is trying to get out of the offensive zone, and the puck is heading back into the zone. And I'm going to let you pick it up from there because it gets a little confusing with Michael Bunting (laughs) and when he does and doesn't touch the puck. It does. And we'll look at the rule, too, as we get into this, Todd, because the offside rule has a few different situations that come into play here. We know that a player has to have possession and control of the puck when they're entering the zone and that the player actually can precede the puck into the zone if they have possession and control. So you could be skating backwards and cross the line first, bring the puck in with you, and that's a legal play because you had possession and control. That's not how it works with a delayed offside, which this was. So Garland's coming in to tag up. We know that Bunting had possession and control as he played the puck in the neutral zone. As the puck crosses the line... He doesn't touch the puck. So that creates that delayed offside. That gives Garland time to touch up. 
Once Garland has touched up, and, and this all happened so quick that Julian Fournier, the linesman on the play, didn't even have a chance to put his arm up and down, but he was watching it and obviously made the right call in real time. Once Garland tags up at the blue line, then Bunting is free to touch the puck. So we've got a difference there where it's possession and control on your own zone entry over the line, but on a delayed offside, the rulebook specifically calls touching the puck after all players have cleared the zone. That's precisely what happened here. He waited until it was good, then he touched the puck, played it, and of, of course, it led to a goal. But it was the right call on the ice by Fournier and the right call in video review. It was just one that we don't see frequently enough, and I think one that happened so quickly that people weren't necessarily thinking of delayed offside in this situation when that's precisely what it was. Yeah, and that's exactly how it played out. It was it was the right call on the ice. The video confirmed it, and everybody got a bit of re-education afterwards. That you re you really have to know the intricacies of the rule book in some cases. And good for the linesman to make the call on the ice in real time. You're right; the arm didn't have time to go up, but they did signal that the play was all right. Yeah, so it was it was good, and I think you know that it's that communication that I think some fans are are used to the signals from the linesman, and then used to the explanation from the officials, which we didn't get that explanation from the officials when the play was reviewed or when it was confirmed to be a good goal. Later on, they gave us the additional detail of the tag up and certainly, you know, those more familiar knew about it. But what was nice to me is when the media did get that official explanation from the NHL Situation Room, some, particularly Jim Fox, out west there for the LA Kings, did an excellent job of relaying that to the broadcast audience because... It's not always easy for everybody to share that explanation, and, and often it comes a bit later in the game because we, you know, we get the referee. We don't get all the details in their arena explanation, but when the league comes out with it, I thought he did a great job of conveying that to the viewing audience. Agreed. Now, another video review, again, one that we don't see that very often. We know that major penalties can be reviewed by video, but other calls as well. Calgary, Toronto, Andrew Mangiopani gets whistled for high sticking on Maple Leafs forward Zach Hyman, who is cut and bloodied on the play. Officials on the ice looked at it on video, upheld the call. This is one we don't see a lot. Double minor can also get some video assistance. Yeah, and this one was fun, depending on which broadcast you were listening to. Oh, they're reviewing it to see if there's blood? <laughs> I can see that there's blood. Well, that wasn't why they were reviewing it. Or they're reviewing it to see if it's a minor penalty. Well, no, they can't review a double minor to see if it's a minor penalty. It's very specific what the league can review when it comes to penalties. And if it's a major or match penalty, they can review that major or match and potentially downgrade it to a minor penalty. In this case, they can review a double minor for high sticking. The only thing they can review for is to see whether it was the opponent's stick that caused it or if it was the player's own stick or his teammate's stick. So the outcome of that review is either we keep the double minor penalty or we wipe out the penalty completely because it was friendly fire. That's the only thing they can review for on this play. It's entirely up to the referees to decide if they want to review it. The coaches can't challenge it. Sorry, broadcast crew. That, that wasn't a coach's <laughs> challenge. It's up to the referees to review it, and it's up to the referees to decide whether they want to change the call on the ice. This is something the Situation Room doesn't weigh in on at all. It's the on-ice officials making the decision to review, and then it's their determination that drives the outcome. Okay, so that definitely is one that is not often seen. But here is another, and it's a bit of a fun light note to end this one on. It's a little-known rule, but we can have some fun with it. Players are super particular about their equipment. 
whether it's sticks or skates or pads or whatever, they want it to be comfortable. They go to enormous lengths to achieve the comfort and feel that they want. So as I'm watching TV the other day and the cameras catch Euler defenseman Darnell Nurse on the bench sipping a water bottle and I look closely and I see the palm of his gloves, except there is no palm on his <laughs> gloves. Half of that is gone missing. Now, if I'm not mistaken, I don't know the rule book as well as you, but I'm pretty sure that's not supposed to be happening. No, it's not. And the fact that he's getting away with it might be fine now, but he may be opening the door for some potential issues down the road. Rule 12.2 says that a glove from which all or part of the palm has been removed or cut, which this wasn't cut. I guess we could say it wasn't removed, but it's not right. there anymore. To right. permit the use of the bare hand shall be considered illegal equipment and you can get a minor penalty imposed. So this is one of those situations where a crafty head coach from the other team might be aware of this. And that crafty head coach might put that in his back pocket for, say, a critical moment in a playoff game. And much like a goaltender with colored tape on his stick or, I don't know, calling for a measurement of a potential illegal curve on a hockey stick that results oh, in a key power play. Oh, yes. That's, that's when you pull that out. So something that nurse might want to be aware of and, and potentially remedy before the playoffs. Yeah. So, you know, you understand these things happen. It's the end of the season. It's like near the end of winter, you know, your coat's a little worn or your gloves a little <laughs> warm and maybe you want to look at that. So maybe, maybe we need a crowdfunding uh, fundraiser <laughs> to get Darnell some new gloves. What do you think? Maybe a little patch in there, even just wrap it with some tape, anything you can do, buddy, but uh, you might want to get that looked at. The Scouting the Rest podcast is brought to you by Manscaped. Get 20% off and free shipping with code REFS at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use code REFS. That's R-E-F-S. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. 